All right, so if you guys have a Bible, you guys could open and turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to say Ephesians. We've been in Ephesians for the past year at my church, so I'm used to saying that. Ephesians chapter 11, and we're going to verses uh, 23 through 28 uh, this morning. Put a clock here so we don't go too long. Um, as Casey um, told you guys, my name is Ricardo. Um, I'm originally from California, so I was in South Central, and then we moved to the Pomona area, and I grew up there, and then moved to Arizona to go to college, went to ASU, which, by the way, Easy school to get into, um, and, but it's hard to graduate. That's, 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 where, that's where you earn your stripes. Um, so went to college there, um, played football there, never played uh, professionally, but that's the right way to bring up those, those wounds, Casey. Um, and my wife and I met. She played soccer there at ASU. We met after college when I became a Christian, and then um, we've been in Arizona ever since, and so we've been in the desert, and so it's a privilege to be back here. Um, Last night was good to fly in here and have my Dodger hat on and not be ridiculed because people in Arizona, for some reason, they think there's a rivalry between the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers. I'm like, I don't think the Dodgers know that. Um, So so I'm like a Dodger, Laker, Raider fan, and that's just the way we grew up, and and I'll die for it too. So that's... that's, that's a little bit about who I am. So let me just prepare you guys, for those of you guys who've never heard me preach before, I speak really fast. I don't notice it, but everybody who listens to me notices it because they say, you speak really fast. So um, I will try to slow down, but my slowing down is not, everybody else is slowing down, so I'm just gonna let you know. Um, so if you miss something, you just go back and I don't know, listen to the podcast or something. Um, number two, there is, a, there, is, there is a call and response still. So if I say amen, that means there's something true about God. And if you agree with it, you would respond by saying, amen. yeah. But if you just say amen. That's fine too. Um, I think that's it. Uh, I think that's it. So, so a little bit about me in a little bit. So one of the things I like to say is I'm African-American, but I live somewhere on the hyphen. And what I mean by that is when you're raised the way that I was raised, on the hyphen, you think about the hyphen of African-American, there's a hyphen in between there, just in case you didn't know. And you live on the hyphen, and what I mean is sometimes you find yourself I find myself, I want my black friends, they think I'm too white. When I'm with my white friends, they think I'm too black. When I'm with my Latino friends, they, you know, they just, they're like, your name Ricardo, you're with us. And, uh, you know, <laughs> if I'm with my Asian friends, they think I'm all right, whatever. But part of that, part of, part of that is, the, is just the reality of understanding, like, my own story and understanding, like, what my story means. And I know you're thinking, wait, are we going to talk about race today? Did Casey bring in a black pastor to talk about race? No, that's next time I come back. Um, <laughs> But part of what we're talking about today is looking at Moses' story and understanding faith. And you can't understand faith apart from a story. And not just your story, but how your story intersects with God's story and how God's story intersects with your story. And so as we look at Moses, particularly this morning, I want you to be thinking about your own particular story. Um, in fact, there's a bunch of different ways that we can, we can look at the story of Moses. There's a lot of windows in which we can look into. We can look at the story of Moses as a story of adoption and foster care and, and how he made it out. We, we can look at a story of Moses, someone with a speech impediment, and yet God uses him to speak a better word. We can look at the story of Moses and how he led stupid people, but I didn't want to go there. Um, there's so many different lens as opposed to just looking at the narrative of what the writer of Hebrews gives us about Moses so that we can understand not how we can become like Moses, because that's not the goal. You can't become somebody who God's never created you to be, right? You can only be who God has created you to be, but how can we actually become exactly in Christ 
who God has created us to be as we look at the narratives and the journey of our own faith um, and learning from Moses and learning from the hand of God in Moses' life. And so again, if you have your Bibles, uh, Ephesians, excuse me, <laughs> don't turn to Ephesians, although a great book. Doesn't need to be go through in a whole year, but great book. Um, Hebrews chapter 11, um, as you look at the people of faith here. And so we're gonna, I'm gonna read this here. I believe the text will be on the screen. Chapter 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he was for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. So one of the things that I don't usually do in preaching is have points to my sermon. But um, last week I started having points because someone said you should have points. So I got points for my sermon so you guys can flow, like, flow with me, right? So let me give you background. So when I grew up, I felt like if it came to a, a, a rapper who I identified with that I felt like had the pulse on our culture, it would have been Tupac, right? But things have changed now. And so with my kids' music and whatnot, I feel like it's all about Drake, who's like a rapper, slanger, like he's confused. But when I come to my points, you're going to see where I'm coming from here. The first point is start from the bottom, all right? <laughs> the second point is nonstop. And then the third point is God's plan. All right. I sent these points to Casey, and he was like, hey, good points. He had no idea. <laughs> he had no idea. <laughs> he had no idea what he signed up for. <laughs> uh, so first, when you think about this first point here of, of <laughs> start from the bottom, right? Moses truly did start from the bottom. One, you got to understand the context here. Look at, me again, look at me again in verse 23. It says, by faith... Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So here's, here's the deal. If you want to understand Noah's, uh, Moses' story, you've got to go back to Exodus chapter 2. And in Exodus chapter 2, what you see is during that time, right, you go back to Joseph, which you guys already learned about. Like Joseph was the guy in Egypt, and Pharaoh of his time said, you're the guy. You're actually number two, but you're the guy. Years later, the Pharaoh said, we don't care about the people of Israel. We don't care about the Hebrew people. In fact, they're beginning to grow in number. So what we want to do is take out the strength, and so let's get rid of the firstborn male. During that time is when Moses was born. And Moses' parents, particularly his mother, says, I'm looking at this child, and it says that he's beautiful, right? And, like, she loves him. And so for three months, she hit him and said, what am I going to do with this child? But it says by faith, not Moses' faith, actually the faith of his mother. By faith, she said, I'm going to give him up. And so she creates a basket, puts baby Moses in the basket, down the river, hoping that God would do something, trusting that God would do something. One of the things that I want us to understand is this phrase called theological reflection, which is just a big phrase for just saying, looking at God's hand in your life. What happens sometimes is when you hear people's stories, you say something like, hey, um, tell me your testimony, if you're familiar with that. And usually what happens is people say, well, here's my testimony. 
I was really bad, Jesus saved me, and now I'm really good, right? This is a lie. Um, <laughs> and usually what happens is you don't begin to understand people's full story. One, because the Spirit of God is at work in your life before you even trust and know Jesus. Before you even have faith to believe in what Christ has done on your behalf, the Spirit of God is already at work. Oftentimes, he is at work and the people who are in your life that you don't even know half the time. In this particular case, as we look at like Moses starting from the bottom, he starts in the position where he's not even supposed to be alive. Like he's not even supposed to live. But it's the faith of his father. And more importantly, it's the faith of his mother who says, Lord, I want you to do something with this child. So, so for me, when I usually tell my story, one of the things I say is I was prayed into the kingdom of God. At 20 uh, how old of us? 21, 22, when I accept Jesus, yes, I know that's when I trusted him. I repented and believed. But years and years before that, my mother is one of those, like, true praying black moms, right? I'm not trying to say white moms don't pray. They pray too. They pray. But the prayers of a black woman. <laughs> and my, my, my mom just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed that it was her faith, Right? When, when I became a Christian, I, I remember going back to my mom and being like, how, hey, how come you never tried to correct me when I was in college and whatnot and, and you knew I was wilding out? How come you never said anything? She goes, it was my responsibility to have you until you left my home. And so we planted those seeds. I brought you to church, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, prayed over you. And I knew that you were the Lord's and at some point he was going to get you. That when it comes to your story, usually there's people that are preceding you and people who have faith. And it's in their faith that they are praying for you and they are trusting in what God is going to do in your life. You have to be able to look at your story and go, I wonder, if you don't know who, I wonder who, Lord, were the people in my life and my family and my story somewhere, family, friends, somebody, that neighbor, somebody who was already praying in faith on my behalf that the Spirit of God was already moving in. And you see, for Moses, that was it. That was, that was Moses had his mother. And not just his mother, he also had a sister. Because what it says is, as the basket went down the river, when you begin to read in Exodus, the basket goes down, and who's there at the other side of the river? It's his sister. He has an older sister who's working for Pharaoh's daughter. And so the older sister is there. It's like, my baby brother's going to be here at any moment now. I'm just going to wait on him, right? Comes down, looks at Pharaoh's daughter and goes, hey, check this out. There's this baby. And then Pharaoh's daughter is like in love with this baby immediately because I guess apparently at that time, um, Egyptian women, they loved themselves some little Hebrew babies. They were like, they're so cute, right? They go like on mission trips and post pictures with them and everything. <laughs> Why? I'm talking about the Hebrews and the Egyptians. <laughs> so anyways, so Pharaoh's, Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter is like, I want one of these. So she adopts him, brings him to her family. And then his sister says, well, what are we going to do to feed this baby? Like, we need to find somebody who's a Hebrew who can nurse him. And it just so happened that there was a Hebrew woman that was there who could nurse him. And that was Moses' biological mother. So you have this picture first of when it comes to Moses' faith, before he even had his faith, you see the Spirit of God working through his family and the people of his life to be able to set him up, Right? And you have to think to your own self as you reflect and going, Lord, where was your hand moving in my life before I even trusted in you? And all of you guys, you guys have different stories. Some of you are you're not in faith yet. You may have never trusted in Christ. Some of you are like, I've been walking with Jesus for a long time. Some of you know the day, the moment, the hour that you begin to trust in Jesus, right? That's beautiful. Some of us go, we don't, we don't even know when. 
either because we grew up in a family that taught us Christ or because we, we, we just, we have like a period of time. People say, when did you become a Christian? And I like to say around a particular time. I don't know exactly when, but I do know that there were some, some, some moments where I can look back to and say, this is what, and this is when I knew God was at work in my life. That's the story of Moses goes from someone who started from the bottom, who made it to the top. Like literally he's in Pharaoh's family now. But from there, it's just like, that's, that's not just like the end of the story for Moses because now he's got to be able to develop his own faith, right? Because you can only, you can't like pass down faith. Like you can pass down the elements. You can create the space that people can trust Jesus. Like I have two boys. We talked about, I could not give Noah and Eli faith. I would love to be able to give them my faith, but I can't. I have to pray on behalf over on them to the Lord in order that they may be able to have their faith. The way I used to think about it is this way. Like, if you think about when you're a teenager or whatnot, and if you had to borrow your mom's car or your dad's car or your uncle's car or whatnot, and you had their car, and you were driving their car around, and one of your friends said, hey, can I borrow your car? You have to say no. And you say, no, why? Because it's not mine. It's my mom's or it's my dad's or it's my brother's and so forth. Like, you could use it. You can get you places, but it wasn't yours. There was no ownership there. At some point, Moses, you, me, we have to come to a point where, yes, people can plant the seeds, and yes, the Spirit of God is at work, but there has to be some moment in our life where we ourselves begin to make a decision for being able to trust God and what he's doing in our life. And so Moses has this here. The writer of Hebrews says this, now picking up again in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. So here's what happens in Moses' life. Moses gets raised at the king's table. Like he gets the best education, you know, he gets the best schooling, he gets the best food, he's got everything he wants. Like he is, in essence, a grandson of Pharaoh. But all, all he could do is look at his people. And he's, he looks at his people, who, by the way, are slaves at this moment. And there's a point in him, and I don't know where it came from. It could have been when his mom was nursing him, because they would nurse their kids a lot longer than we normally do here. And so when he's nursing him, my, my, my thought might be is that Moses' mother was imparting to him who God was and what God was like. Because the Israelites, they knew their story. They knew that there was this man named Joseph. And they knew that Joseph got sold into slavery by his brothers. But they knew that God had faith, or that Joseph had faith and God had favor upon him. And that at one point, the people of God had favor. They knew in this God And so maybe whatever faith she knew in the story and the narrative of God that she began to teach Moses. And Moses, as he grew up, and when we think when he grew up, we think 21, 23, 25. No, what we learn in Acts is that Moses was 40 when this happened. Like Moses was grown. Like he had been living in the house, right? Pharaoh's daughter, his his, his, uh, adopted mom was like, listen, put the fortnight away. You got to do something, right? And so now at 40, he's going, "I, I don't know if I want this anymore. And there's like, at some, every parent, right? Those of you guys who are parents in this room, you have an idea that you want for your kid. And you have, quote unquote, the good life that you want for your kid. And what happens, even those of us who are not parents, we have an idea of what the good life is. And if we're in Christ, we go, okay, we want the good life in Christ. And so we spend all this time trying to like craft the life that we desire. 
And then if we can have God in it, it's like, yo, this is bomb. And so we spend all of our time trying to get God into our life, but the story of the gospel is God sending Christ to get us into his life. And when that happens, that is an act of unmerited favor from God. And if God has given us grace, meaning we did not earn it, that means he can ask anything of us, including that we give up the good life. Because the good life in this world is sometimes and oftentimes very distracting to the life that God has for us. Sometimes the good life in this world distracts us from what it looks like to actually trust and have faith in God and see him and at work in our life. Now, some of us, we might have the experience at some point to be able to climb the metaphorical ladder towards what we think success or the good life is, right? When I was coming here, I was thinking, okay, let me visually think what these people might look like and what the room may look like. By the way, aesthetically, bomb, right? And I was thinking, people in LA, probably good looking, right? Right? Okay, good, because I was thinking, no. Uh, so, like, here, here, like, this particular part of LA on the west side, probably a little bit more affluent, a little, got, got a job, got your thing going on, you know, all the women in here, INDP. I mean, I get you, you guys where you are, right? Here's the thing, though. Let's just say that we can climb that ladder, whatever that success is. And it's, it's in all of us, it's in me as well. What if we actually get to the top just to realize that it's tilted against the wrong building? Right? The writer of Hebrews, when he writes this, he's writing to a particular audience of Hebrew, Israelite, Jewish men and women who were saying, as we are following Jesus, there's a loss that we're suffering. Like, we are, we are, there's a loss. Can we just go back to the law and do what the law says like Moses did? And what the writer of Hebrew is saying is it wasn't the law that spared or saved or delivered Moses. It was the faith in whom he had in God. And so he uses Moses to say, it's not about your performance. It's about God's promise. It's not about the life that you create, can create. It's ultimately about the life in which God gives. And so when it comes to Moses now, he's there in the king's palace. He's there for 40 years eating and drinking and enjoying, and something's not right. And this could be the moment where someone says something's not right in their life. They want to trust in Christ for the first time, but that's not just a one-time decision of faith that we trust in Christ. There's multiple, multiple decisions in which we begin to trust afresh in the work of Christ in our life. That we come to these moments where we decide, okay, Lord, is this the life that you truly have for me, or am I detouring, am I veering off the path, and then how do I get refocused towards you? Because the reality of it is, like Moses, sometimes the things of this world will give us a false sense of satisf satisf satisfaction that ultimately we begin to long for the things of God. Sometimes we don't know what that direction looks like. We have no idea where to look to. We have no idea what step to take. Sometimes it seems wildly ambiguous. And so for me, I remember it clearly. Um, I was a senior in college, and we were, uh, we were undefeated, ASU was undefeated at the time, which doesn't happen very often. And we, we were 10th uh, in the country, and we're getting ready to come out to L.A. and we're about to play USC, who at the time was number one in the country. Um, they killed this, by the way. And someone said, woo. See, sometimes it's the temptations of the devil that... Uh... So, so we, I'm in the study hall. I'm typing out this lesson plan. I was a um, student teaching at the time in the second grade classroom. I majored in elementary ed. And then I realized very clear, I never want to teach kids, so I didn't teach. 
I'm, and I'm there, I'm not walking with the Lord. Everything that I want is there. We're undefeated, I'm the captain of the team, blah, 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 blah. And I just felt this sense of like, Lord, is this it? Or is there something else? I remember calling the one person who I would call, right? My mom, and like, wow, well, I don't know if this is it. And she, she was like, baby, if you know, that's just what they say. <laughs> baby, and I said, don't you think it's about time that you, you know, run to the Lord or run to Jesus? And sometimes Christians, we gotta be honest with ourselves. Like we say some very ambiguous things to people that makes no sense. Run to Jesus. If you told me to run to a location, I can get there. If you tell me, run to Jesus, where is he at, right? Um, and that's where you begin to realize it does take faith and it's not a blind faith. It's begin to see that he's actually always been there. Moses probably got to the point where many of us can get to that as you're climbing up the ladder or you reach the top of the ladder and you realize it's tilted against the wrong building and you have the opportunity by the spirit of God to look down. You see, Jesus has always been where you were because he meets us where we are at. He never says in your own works, elevate yourself and then I will actually bring you. And he says, no, beyond your own works, you've actually, you're at the bottom. And so you have to have a point in which you begin to trust that the Lord is actually where you're at and he's already present, even if you cannot see him to be able to follow him. And there's, there's usually some sort of loss that you have to walk away from. Personally, for me, I knew it was the crew that I was with. That when I began to trust in Jesus, I realized there was no way for me, my story, everybody's story is different, that I can run with the same dudes I was running with in order for me to do what God wanted me to do. And so I prayed and asked for God to bring somebody in my life to disciple me. I don't think I have those words, but somebody. And um, I actually start teaching at a high school because I got the elementary thing, not for me. High school, way better. And there was a guy that his name was Eli. In some ways, that's why my youngest son is named Eli. Although he's changed his name to Elliot now, which is ridiculous because I'm not going to change my son's name now. Um, and he discipled me and pointed me to Christ. And it was a moment of having to leave the area I was at, the people I was with, and so forth. So Moses says, I got to leave. I got to go. And it wasn't without its own issues, right? Moses didn't just say, hey, uh, Pharaoh, hey, Pharaoh's daughter, you guys have done a great job raising me, but I'm about to go into the wilderness for a little bit, you know, a little suburb action for a second. Uh, I'll be back in a little bit. I'm going to take this whole thing over, by the way. Um, no, he sees his own people fighting with like the Egyptians and then you see the Hebrews and the, the Egyptian slave owners beating this guy down. And then Moses goes, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna react now. I've been like this pent up anger and he kills the guy. He kills the, the, the Egyptian and realizes, oh, this is all bad. Pharaoh's gonna come after me, so I have to go. I have to go. So then he goes out to the wilderness. He leaves that. But it says by faith he did which is crazy to think about because sometimes when we read these people about these people, we think, oh, they must have had incredible faith. Um, he killed somebody and thought he should leave, right? And I, I'm not saying today this is prescriptive, meaning now go kill somebody and then flee to Moreno Valley, right? That's not, that's not, don't do that actually. Neither one of those things sound great. <laughs> but it is a sense of going, he trusted in something of what he knew about God. And then what we learn in the story, you know, God meets him in the wilderness. He gets married there and so forth. And um, God meets him through the burning bush and then he calls him. And he actually calls him to go back to the very place, to the very people that he was pushed out from. Not just the Egyptians, but also the Hebrews. That God, be that, that God begins to use him in a way and that Moses goes back and forth with God. 
This is not unbelievable faith, guys. These are normal people who are going, Lord, I don't know if I should do this. I don't know if I can do this. He's like, you go speak. And God's like, I can't speak. Or Moses is like, I can't speak. I stutter. And he goes, doesn't matter. Take your brother with you. He can speak on your behalf. Well, I mean, how? And then God's just go. And he begins to, in faith, begin to trust and follow him. The question I have for you guys is, what, what in your life now, I don't care where your journey is, what in your life now that the Lord is saying, you got to actually step away from this in order to step in faith in what God has for you? What relationships do you got to step away from? What circumstances do you have to step away from? Sometimes what vocations do you have to step away from? And that's not something I can say, well, the Lord told me this. I mean, because he didn't. I just know that whenever there's an increase in our understanding of walking with God and our stories, we have to look at moments and go, these are pivotal moments in my past where I've had to trust Jesus and it meant loss. It meant that I'm going to step away from something. Moses steps away from it. It says the fleeting pleasures of sin because whatever sin offers, God always offers more because he offers himself. And when it says that Moses left because there was a reward, the reward was not what we think about the good life. Here, here's the thing about our faith sometimes that we just, we, just, we just don't do well. We somehow say, come to Jesus and your life will be better. No context around that. And so then we take our previous worldviews and our understanding of what better means, and then we apply that to the gospel, and then we believe in Jesus, and then all of a sudden the people who we love get deep depression. The people whom we love pass away. The people and the things in which we thought would be there are no more, and then life begins to actually happen, and we go, I thought if I believed in Jesus, good things were going to happen. I was going to have a better life. My life looks worse. It's because somebody lied to you. Like Jesus says this, that in this world, you will have tribulation. He doesn't say in this world, you get Disneyland, right? In this world, you will have tribulations. But take hold, meaning take faith. I've overcome the world. What's on the other side is far greater than what you're experiencing now. That the, the, the momentary afflictions that we experience now is nothing compared to the surpassing glory that we will experience here. That, that what we have, that the reward in itself was not a better life for Moses. If you look at the life of Moses, Moses leads these crazy, silly people for the next 40 years in the wilderness. He gets so mad at them that he hits the rock too many times. And then God goes, you ain't even going to the promised land. And he's sitting there going, right? So not like the greatest life in the world in the which we think about it, but it's a life of faith. It's a life of trusting in God and trusting God with the life in which we have, that he's going to make the most of our lives as not him in being included in our life, but us by faith and grace being included to the life and the plans of God. Amen? So Moses goes from the bottom to the top. There's this nonstop of anger that he has, but he leaves what could have been the good life, but it was, it was a life that was void of God and void of following God. And then lastly, what we see is God's plan. He's been moving commas, so don't start any trouble with him. All right, here we go. Verse, verse 27. By faith, he left Egypt, and not being afraid of the anger of the king, he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. So what, what you have here um, with Moses... It comes full circle in what God's doing. The beginning of Moses' life, Pharaoh is trying to take down the firstborn. 
the end of this part, not of his life, but the end of this part of this section is now God is providing and sparing the life of the firstborn and the whole people. The beginning of Moses' life, it starts off with faith of his mother. At one point and at some point, it becomes his faith. And now he is used by God and God's plan for God began to show forth his grace and his mercy as well as his judgment to the people of God and also the Egyptians. And what you see is by faith is that Moses himself begins to look to, look forward to ultimately what God is going to do. Now, if you're anything like me, you got to step back for a second and go, I'm... How do people in the Old Testament know anything about Christ? Because he mentioned earlier about Christ. How do they know anything about Christ? Because I've read the Old Testament. Well, not really. I, didn't, I tried to read it all. I didn't make it through. Leviticus tripped me up. But, but I've never seen Christ in the Old Testament. What you have to understand is, one, when he talks about Christ, that word means anointed one. It means Messiah. It's not just the name of, like, Jesus, right? When I grew up, I always thought, like, Jesus Christ was, like, like Jesus' name. Like, Jesus was his first name. But if you played football in the back, it would say Christ. Christ on the carry, right? Like, no, no, that's his title, all right? He's the anointed one. So they knew at some level there's a Messiah that's coming, but when it says that he suffered the reproach, there's almost like a type, there's almost an identification where he identifies with one who steps into the presence and the purposes and the plans of God and even suffers for that. And so when, when Moses says, or when the writer of Hebrews says that Moses now, understanding what God is doing, he trusts in God's word. Hear me on this. Faith beginning, the certainty in which we have is not blind. It is trusting in the word and the promises of God. In Moses' case, after all the plagues, the final plague, Moses is told, here's what I want you to do. And if you don't know the story, it goes a little something like this. I want you guys to take the ram, the goat, and so forth. Take the blood. I want you to eat one you're going to eat as a family. And if another family doesn't have enough to eat, they come with this other family. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to eat this Passover meal before the Passover even happened. It was an act of faith and trusting in the promises of God. And I want you to take the blood and I want you to put it on the doorpost here. So when the angel of death comes, he will pass over. And that in itself, as many of you probably know, was just a a foreshadowing of what would happen in the gospel. So Moses, not so much looking to his life, but actually trusting and the work and the promises of God, like implements this to God's people, that they may actually, not just himself, but have faith ultimately in God and his ability to pass over. And so I want you guys to see something here. Not so much that this story is about Moses, but this story has always been about God. God did something in Moses' mother's life to protect Moses. God even did something in the life of an unbelieving daughter in terms of Pharaoh to accept this child into their life. That he provided the means for the child to be raised by his mother. He provided the means for the child to be educated and raised. He provided the grace for even when he committed acts of sin that he would be forgiven. He provided himself to speak to him, to call him back. He provided his power to be able to call and send Moses and his brother. And this time he now is ultimately pointing to the moment in which he would provide his life for every single person like Moses who would believe in him. That when Jesus becomes for us the true Passover lamb, the one who comes and takes the sin away from the world, that the angel of death would pass over us, it's not so that we can have some escape into heaven, but ultimately we can understand the escape that we have into the presence of God as we live this life. No matter what highs and no matter what lows that we have, no matter what circumstances or tribulations or trials that we go to mentally, physically, or spiritually, that we know that we are, it's not that we do on behalf of God, but what God has done on behalf of us and his son, Jesus. 
So we, not like Moses, who look forward to the day in which Christ would do, we, even in some ways in a better position than Moses, we can look back and see what Christ has already done. And so I think it would be faithful for us in light of the scriptures, in light of the gospel, to be able to look at the hand of God in our own lives that is produced, or in some people, maybe producing the faith that we have in Jesus, the faith that we have in God, the faith that we have in his plans. And as we look in the rearview mirror and theologically reflect and see, here's what God has been doing. Here's what he's been doing in my life so that we can be able to trust him in the present and be able to trust him in the future and the, the work that he's doing in the future. And here, here's what I mean by that. I was silly enough to believe that coming to Jesus meant that was my one-time act of faith. But the reality of it is, as life continues to happen, there are other moments where you have to, in faith, trust in the Lord with the things that are unseen. Even when the things that are seen are so stinking real and so difficult, in moments of doubt, in moments of distraction, sometimes even in moments of plenty, that sometimes we find ourselves in moments of plenty that I don't think the church does a great job at talking about how that can be a distraction. Because usually it's like when you're in the bottom, there's joy there. But sometimes when there's plenty, there's joy, but sometimes we're finding our joys in the plenty as, as opposed to the person of Christ. And so as we look at the faith that God has given us, we have to understand when we read these, these people, whether it's Rahab or whether it's Joseph or whether it's Moses, we can't say that you know, it's so much about the amount of faith. It's not about the amount of faith. It's the object. And if our object is in Christ, then we can know that he can hold our entire lives. It's not about how big our faith is. I don't think any of these people had any bigger faith than any of us can have. It's way more they trusted in the words and the promises of God. And we can see the completion of God's promise ultimately in the work and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Amen? Amen. So we're going to give you guys the opportunity to have the exercise of just taking the moment to be able to, to reflect. But let me pray for you, and then I'll lead you guys in that time.